0: We are ready to start lesson number five uh, in uh, the series we're calling my Bible study tool bag, and today we finally make it to application. So we started with the understanding that we have to ask the questions: What does the passage say? That's observation. We spent a lot of time on it. You probably have got that down pretty good. Then we got to step number two, which is really interpretation: What does the passage mean? Now, we have to be careful there and clarify. The idea is, what did the original author mean to the original audience? What was he saying to them at that point? And after we have those two things down, then we can ask the question, what does it mean to me? So let's do a little example. One that I know that will be uh, comfortable for you, I think. So the story in uh, Exodus about the children of Israel uh, wandering through the desert, complaining about nothing to eat, and God provides manna. And remember, the manna was to be distributed for six days. On the seventh day, there was no distribution. They came out every morning and found the manna. They were told enough to, to gather enough for one day, except for the day before the Sabbath. They could gather for two days. And if they didn't gather uh, just one single day, what happened to the manna? It spoiled, spoiled, it rotted. Okay, so now that's the interpretation. So we have the facts. The interpretation is God intended to meet the needs of his people. Now, what's the application? You and I are reading it. We have a refrigerator full of food. We have a pantry full of food. Uh, uh, and if you're obsessive, it's all dated and organized and all that kind of stuff. If you're not, it's just shoved in there. But at any rate, you have a pantry full of food. You have a refrigerator. You have a freezer, probably an extra one out in the garage. So you don't need manna. So what is the application when we read that passage in in uh, our Bible? What do, what do we take away? What is, what is that message for us? God wants us to focus on Him every day, he wants us to know that he's in our life. Okay. A little bit more, but yes. Yes. Like spiritual food. Like when he says, um, like man shall not live on bread alone. So we need to have our spiritual food daily. Ah, and you said daily too. And that's the key words that I was looking for, was that there is the necessity in our lives, not for manna, literally, What do you say? It tasted like a coriander seed? I don't even know what a coriander seed tastes like. But at any rate, we don't need that physical uh, wafer or whatever form it was. We need this. But we need it just as regularly. We can't store it up. We can't say, well, I had 12 minutes yesterday, so I don't have to have any minutes today. There is a necessity for God's Word to be a regular part of our lives. Okay, that would be the application. So let me give you another one here just for funsies. I want you to go to the book of Hosea, chapter 13. Put your finger there. Hosea. Yes, it's a minor prophet. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. So find Hosea uh, right at the beginning. So Hosea 13 and then John 6. So we want to use Hosea 13 and then John 6. And I'm going to pose you a question and you get to answer it the application anyway out of God's word John 6 alright you ready everybody got those two Hosea 13 and John 6 so here's the question should I move to Phoenix should I move to Phoenix so I want you to look at Hosea thirteen five and John 6, 49. 13, 5 and John 6, 39 and let's, uh, let's answer my question. Should I move to uh, Phoenix? Hosea 13, 5 Here's what it says. I cared for you in the desert in the land of burning heat. Alright. Alright. And John six forty nine, this is what it says. Marcia's laughing. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. <laughs> now, if I read Hosea thirteen six in my morning devotions, how would I have answered my question? Do I should I move to to uh, Phoenix? Odyssey, yes! He promises to care for me. Right? Isn't that what it says? It says, I cared for you in the desert. So I'm moving to Phoenix. Well, wait a minute. If I read John, and you were laughing at 649, your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. So if I read John 6.49. The morning I'm asking that question, I would go, no! If I move to to, uh, Phoenix, I'm going to die. Now, can you see how ridiculous this is? If you just pick and choose, trying to answer life's questions? I can answer it. I don't care what you ask me. I'll find a passage somewhere in the Bible that will say yay, and somewhere in the Bible that will say nay. What we have to do is actually be careful when we come to the step of application. Because we can find all kinds of things in God's Word. Now, Hendricks, in his book, *The Living by the Book, which is a book I've gotten many of our notes from, and I highly recommend it for you for a summer study, he says, The Bible was not written to satisfy your curiosity. It was written to transform your life. First, we must get the Word of God for ourselves, but then we must allow that Word to get us to make a permanent difference in our character and our conduct. The point being is that application is looking for a volitional change, not an emotional reaction. If I had hit that that passage in Hosea, I would have gone, hip, hip, hooray, it's time to go. And yet, if I had hit the, the, the verse in John 6, I might have gone the other way with my emotions. Application is not looking for an emotional response. Application is looking for something to change in your character. So back to my manna example. If we had read uh, the, the account of the manna this morning, I might have very well walked away and said, I need to be more diligent about my devotional time with the Lord. I cannot live without food, just like they couldn't live without manna. I cannot live without God's word. I need to be better about applying it in that way. So there needs to be some diligence attached with the goal in mind of a change of character. And and to that end, there are uh, six or seven questions that we ought to ask ourselves when we get to a portion of Scripture. By the way, I put James one twenty one in your notes. It says this, this, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. It could just as easily have said, which can change you, which can affect change in your life. When we accept the word of God and we humbly put it into our hearts, the net effect is there's supposed to be change so if you came to know the lord 2 3 years ago somebody that hasn't seen you in 2 3 years and you suddenly you spend some time with him you maybe a whole evening they should be able to lean back and go rebecca something's different about you now, not that she 's perfect or that suddenly she 's you know Saint Rebecca, but there is some some noticeable change attitude, uh, language, uh, uh, the way she she speaks to people or the way she refers to her family or her husband, the way she refers to her relationship with the Lord. Something in there should be different because of application all right so let 's look at those questions what 's the questions that we could ask ourselves? That will, that will allow us to, to reach application. The very first one is kind of an easy one. Is there an example for me to follow? Now, when we were talking about the kinds of, of, of texts there are in the Bible, we talked a lot about narration and bibliography. And in those narrations and in bibliography and in, in, in portions of either autobiography or, or uh, bibliography. Am I saying the word biography? Biography or autobiography. In those sections, it's kind of easy to find an example, both an example good and sometimes an example bad. Um, So, for example, some that I pulled out to make us think about this. So, in in Genesis 18, turn there, Genesis 18, Abraham is going to have a a confrontation. Genesis 18, and I want to see, where's the example? What is the example that we're supposed to be following out of this encounter. So, (coughs) excuse me. Uh, Let me get to the portion I want. So, starting in about verse 16 of chapter 18... Um, the these men that have come to visit Abraham looked down on Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. And then the Lord said, well, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. All the nations on earth will be blessed through him. Um, and, and I've chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household, etc., etc. Keep, keep go, jump, jumping down, though. He says in verse 20, Then the Lord said, Well, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, these two cities that were in front of them, is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they've done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So the men turned away. They went down there. Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham approached the Lord and said, Well, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are, let's say, 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous? people in it. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the, and the wicked alike. Far, far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, well, okay, if I find 50 righteous people in the city, I will spare them. Then Abraham pipes up again and does, well, wait a minute. What if you find less than 50? Will you destroy? Well, if I find 45 of those, I, I won't destroy it, says the Lord. Once again, Abraham pipes up. What if there was only 40? All right, for the sake of 40, I won't do it. Verse 30, well, may the Lord be angry, but let me say, what if there were only 30 that could be found there? I won't do it if I find 30. 31, verse 31, now I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord. What if, what if there's only 20 down there? All right, he says, for the sake of 20, I won't destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if there can only be 10 found down there? And uh, when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. And you know the story of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah gets destroyed. So what's Abraham doing with that whole thing? Where is there an application, an example to follow in that story? You have not because you ask not. <laughs> he, he, he became very clear about what he was hoping for. And asking the Lord, I would say that is a, an example. Yeah, not the one I was thinking of, but it's one. Yes, babe? Uh, will the Lord judge rightly? Like, will the Lord, where is that line? And um, does it matter to be righteous? Like, if he's going to sweep away everybody... Theologically those are great questions. We're we're kind of focusing in though on what's the example to follow. What did Abraham do on behalf of these people? He interceded. He interceded. And once? No. Twice? No. Three times? Four or five times? Yeah. And I think the example to, to, to follow, we're looking for application under the, under the question, is there an example to follow? The example to follow here is when we're praying for something huge, something important, something, you know, really, uh, of, of major, uh, import to our lives or theirs. Don't give up. Keep asking the Lord. So the 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 example to follow, the application from that passage is: don't stop praying for that thing or those people that are near and dear to you. Have you had some family members that you've prayed for for a long time? I certainly have. I mean, almost every day I pray for these particular family members, and and I'm not going to quit until you know, hopefully God uh, prayerfully God uh, answers that prayer in the in the way I'm hoping. That's an example to follow. There's a volitional change. I change my attitude about my prayer. Instead of just being haphazard, I'm going to be diligent, like like Abraham was. All right. So, a second one. Is there a sin to avoid? So now I'll go to Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five is a big chapter. Lots of things in it. Um, but but just glancing at it, I'm wondering if we could we could notice a couple of things that have to do with sin that we ought to avo- to to avoid. So um, look at verse uh, chapter five and verse number three. Is there something in three or four or five or six that 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 it ought to grab our attention? We ought to pay attention to. Is there a sin to avoid there? Mm -hmm. Okay, give me a couple. Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Check. Impurity. Yes. Yes. Foolish talking. Yes. Obscenities. Obscenities, Kind of foolish talking. (coughs) Right. Um, Coarse Coarse joking. Verse six got empty words. And people that are partners with these kind of people. All right. So it's not hard in a in a passage like chapter five to find all kinds of sins to avoid. But sometimes that's not as as true. So you go to the next question. So the next question is, is there a promise to claim? Is there something that God is saying is going to come true and you can hold him to it? Now, the the thing that I want to caution you against is claiming promises that were not originally intended for you. So let's go to Exodus chapter 19. We've got a lot of verses we're going to today. But in Exodus chapter 19, look in verses 4 and following, we're looking for promises that we could apply, application. So he says in uh, chapter 19, verse number 4, He's up on Mount Sinai. Moses is doing business with God. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you. This is God talking to to Moses. Carried you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Though the whole world is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, is that promise for us, can I look at that and go, I'm something special. I am God's prized possession. I am I am unique. I am number one. Look at me. Is that a promise to claim? What do you think? Marcia's giving me the no look. Nope. Marcia's giving me the nope. Anyone want to go with a yep? You're going with a yep? Well, I don't know <laughs> give me, your, give me your reason. Well, because <clears throat> like if Jesus was the last great, the last high priest, then um, and we are in Him, um, then instead of nations, we are His children, and so. Those things would be true he would treasure us. And um, because we are in him, we, he says we're going to do all the things he does if we follow him. Okay, so for the sake of the uh, our uh, our podcast and our watchers here, she's saying essentially that because we are in Christ and he cares for us, that these blessings would have been ours. I agree with your logic and that the theological part of it is correct. However, it's a secondary promise, not a primary promise. The primary promise is for whom? Israel. Now, the, the, the danger of doing what you're doing is not knowing it's secondary, assuming it just applies. Because if you do that, you're going to go through the whole Testament and every time there's a promise of a blessing or a specifics, you're going to live here. You're going to reign here. You're going to have this, this occurrence that then it's very easy to say that's ours. For example, the one I've given you several different times in 2nd Chronicles seven fourteen. if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and seek my face, I will hear from heaven and bless their land and, and virtually every American who loves loves the Lord, has that verse memorized, and says, see, America is going to get blessed. Well, the answer to that is yes, secondarily, to the extent that God is upheld, to the extent that we do humble ourselves, to the extent as a people group we make him first, to that extent God does bless. Our country has been blessed. Because to a certain extent, we have honored Almighty God. But that promise in Second Chronicles was not to us. The primary application is not to America or to Sherry World. The primary application is to Israel. And if you make the church Israel, that all the promises in the Old Testament apply to the church, meaning the New Testament people, you're, you're wrong. It's not true. Or if you make it so it's applying directly to you, you are also incorrect. Secondarily, yes, there are all kinds of secondary applications. Yes, God does. And there are many places, to your point, where God, in fact, does call us his people. The, the, the uh, next to the last chapter in Revelation, uh, these are my people, which, which I've called. These are, these are mine. Yes, we are. There is a sense in which we are. But be careful when you're looking for a promise that it wasn't a promise that was made for Israel as opposed to you or someone else. But there are plenty of promises in the in the Bible. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That is an ironclad promise. Whether they're you know wheeling you into surgery or you're stuck at an MRI or you know a terrible. Uh, a car crash or any other circumstance, He has never left you. He is visibly, not visibly, He is tangibly with you in those scenarios and will never leave. That's a promise we can claim. I remember uh, when I was doing my little amnesia thing and I was whatever, uh, a year or so ago and I was in the hospital and they were doing all kinds of tests. I said, Lord, it would be cool if I could see you in here. And I said, yeah, I know, that's not probably likely, but I know that you're here. I just reminded myself of those promises. And you will in those times in your lives. So there are promises that can be claimed. That's part of the application process. All right, let's go to number four. Is there a prayer in this passage that we're reading that can be repeated? Now, there are all kinds of prayers in the Bible. That is one of my fun things to do uh, in, in terms of Bible study, especially in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings in Paul's letters, Philippians, Colossians, uh, Ephesians, Galatians, uh, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy. He's all all the time talking about, now I want to pray for you or I want to pray for somebody. And in my Bible, I've got them all marked off in little squares because they're wonderful prayers to pray for other people. So, for example, in Psalm 51, which is one of the two prayers that David prayed after his Bathsheba deal, if you find yourself having committed the, the sin that you thought you never would and now you are just racked with guilt and feeling bad, you can walk your way through Psalm 51. It is a prayer that can be repeated, a line for line, line uh, item for item, idea for idea. It will work. Or maybe you find yourself in a moment of just incredible appreciation and gratitude to the Lord. So now you want to go to a a prayer uh, of of thanksgiving. Well, when Hannah finds out that she's going to have her son in uh, 1 Samuel 2, there is a marvelous prayer that you could pray in chapter 2, the first 10 verses. Um, In Ephesians, uh, there are a couple of different ones. One where Paul's praying for the Ephesians or for people that he loves. And then the one I really like uh, in terms of praying for children, go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And here's one of those prayers. And I like praying it for Brianna. Um, You may have children that are getting older enough and you're wanting them to Walk in the ways of the Lord. So there's, you know, your words are are getting a little stale in your mouth or your heart. And you're looking for a a fresh way to do it. Look at verse 9. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to do what? To fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you live a life worthy. Worthy of the Lord. And, and may please him in every good way, that you're bearing fruit in every good work, that you're growing in the knowledge of God, that you're being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Now that is a much more powerful, meaningful way than just God bless Izzy. You know, this, this gets into the, the specifics of the important things that you want to pray. And it doesn't have to be your children. It could be someone you care and love uh, uh, deeply. But looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians, we understand who he wrote it to. We understand what he was trying to say to the really original audience. But one of the things that can affect a change in us is to ask, is the, in this passage, is there a prayer to repeat? And yes, of course, there happens to be. And praying that way will change the way you pray. It will no longer be God bless Izzy. And I don't know why I'm picking on Izzy, but I guess because you mentioned her, she was over in Catalina. But uh, it, it will change the way you pray for for people that you love and care for. A fifth thing by way of application, is there a command to obey? So we've read through a, a book in the Bible and we want to know, hey, how how do I apply this book? Well, the book of James, for example, Um, One commentator kind of shocked me. He said there are 54, 54 commands in the book of James. 54 things do this or stop doing that. Well, that wouldn't take us very long. We could go through the book of James and have a volitional change, a change of heart and character just by obeying the, the 54 commands. So, number six, a question uh, we're asking, how do we apply what we're reading? Is there a condition that needs to be met? By condition, we're back to that if-then kind of stuff. If this happens, then this happens. Go, to, go with me to John 15. John 15, verse number seven. I found a, a, an if-then that kind of would apply to all of us. John 15, and verse number seven. <clears throat> This is the, the chapter on the vine and the branches. Verse 7 starts out with an if. We can pay attention to it. If you remain in me, this is Jesus talking to us. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Now, we've got we to go through that. What, oh, I get to ask whatever I want and he'll give it to me? All right, this is great. Well, wait a minute. There is an if then. And what's the if? If you remain in me and my words remain in you. And the remain there is not just, you know, do you remember it? It, it, it? It's essentially saying if you're thinking like me, if you've if you've lived so closely associated with me and my word, then what you ask for, of course, I'm going to give. So uh, is there a condition to be met? The condition here is to remain. That happens to be my word for this year. I was looking for a word, and uh, I, uh, I chose remain. I, I thought that was a good word for me this, this year. So anyway, is there a condition to, me, to be met? And lastly, the number seven is, is there a verse to be memorized? Now, I'm going to guess that not many of us are on a, a regular plan of memorizing God's word. And those of us that are a little on the more ancient side, we say, well, it's hard. And the answer is, yes, it is art," But it is also hard for those that are not so ancient as well. It takes effort, but not as much as you would think. And um, a little bit later on in uh, the notes today, I'm going to re- recommend a, a tool that the navigators of ministry have developed that may be helpful to you. But I'm going to suggest a couple of other things. Uh, I, here are some passages that are whole chapters. You said, there's no way I can memorize a whole chapter. No, not all at once. You're not going to. But, but these chapters are powerful. Chapters uh, 103 and 139 are very powerful psalms. But you could start with a, a, a much easier one, Psalm 100. I think there are six verses in it. Um, john fourteen we 're in fifteen right now, fourteen at least the first six or eight verses you could do that isaiah fifty three the center section of that chapter, and any number of other uh, of other verses. Um, one of the things with summer coming up that my friend Barb and I've always done, when we go on vacation, we choose a, a section to memorize. And it's just a game. When you we're in the car, we, we try it. If we're sitting in an airport, we work on it a little bit. If we're you know on a cruise, we work on it in the, in the room. And it's just part of the game. Uh, maybe we put them down on three by five cards, shuffle them back and forth to each other. I say it, she says it, we say it till we can kind of get it. Then we, it then we do it again. Then we do it again. Then we do it again. Post-it notes help. Doesn't matter what it is sometimes we'll use a tape recorder and usually by by the time there's a week over we've got six or eight verses down with no big effort and your family the kids will blow you out of the out of the socks out of your socks with how easy it is for them and that's a great little motivator i'm not going to let my kids learn those verses if i can't learn them Um, get your spouse or your friend to, to to encourage you to support you but there ought to be ver- verses to memorize. So when you, when you come to a passage and you've done the observation and you know the interpretation, now you're looking for application. Ask yourself some of these questions. Is there, is there something I'm supposed to be avoiding? Is there a condition I should meet? Is there a, a verse to memorize? Is there, is there, is there, is there? That will make application work as a final step of, of Bible study. Now, I want to give you four steps in application that I found Hendricks did very well in his book, and I want to bring them to you. The very first step in application is to know something. And, and, and he says you've got to know two things. You've got to know the text, and then you've got to know yourself. The text is kind of obvious. We, we're, we're, we're into that. We, we know what it says. We're, we're looking for that one interpretation. We realize there can be many applications, but we're, we're looking for that one interpretation. I got that part down. I know the text. But the part about knowing yourself, I had to really think about this. Why does knowing yourself help you when it comes to applying God's word? Well, when you know where your strengths are, when you know where your weaknesses are, when you know the things that are that are that are tripping you up. Then you're in you're in a better position to apply God's word in those areas rather than just going. Oh, that's a lovely promise. Maybe it's a promise having to do with something that you're worried about. In First Timothy, I put the note in your or the verse in your notes. It says, "Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your life. Know yourself. Know where your weaknesses are." Um, what are your spiritual strengths? Where where are some things that that you have some strengths? Um, I I put down Romans chapter twelve for a second. Let me read twelve to you. Romans twelve. Uh, verse 3, Let me verse 1 and 2, Therefore I I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of your more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Sober judgment gives you strengths as well as weaknesses. And then Hebrews 12 says, you know, uh, considering those heroes in chapter 11, um, march after them, and he says, and watch out for the, the sin that does so easily King, King James beset you or trip you up so you've got strengths and you've got weaknesses if you want to be a good applier of God's word you've got to know those have you taken a little spiritual inventory lately so he, he recommends um, five areas under renew that's the next point the personal life the family life the church life your work life and your community life. And, he, and he, it really says to sit down and ask yourself, how am I doing in each of those? And so sometimes we're doing better in our work life than we are our personal life. Or, or maybe we're doing better in our personal life than we are in our work life. Or we're better at a church, but we're not so good with the family. Or we're better with maybe our kids, but we're not so good with you know, our spouse. Or whatever it might be. He says, when you have, when you have a, a chance to review your habits and behaviors, not your intentions, but what you actually do. When you actually review them, you kind of give yourself a, well, there's an area that I could work on. Well, there's one that I'm not so great at. There's one that needs some shoring up. So now when you go to apply God's word, it fits. It sticks. You're, kinda, you're, on the, you're on the look for it. Oh, that's one that I can apply. I've, I, I know something about myself. I've reviewed my own habits and my behaviors, and, I, and I, can, I, can, I can make a difference. Here's the thing, and I put it in your notes. A consistent study of God's Word will provide you a new relationship, not just with the Lord, but a new relationship with yourself, a new relationship with other people, and wait for it, a new relationship with Satan. He doesn't care if you're not trying. He's going to leave you alone. If you're not making any effort, you're not, you're not, you're not trying, you're not applying, you're not confessing your sin, you're not moving forward, you're not looking for new and, 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 and uh, interesting ways to apply, God, apply God's Word to your heart. If you're not doing any of that, He's going to leave you alone. But if you start applying God's Word. You're a, you're a real student of God's Word. There's observation and interpretation and now application. Look out. It will make a difference. It'll make a difference in your own sense. When you stare in the mirror in the morning, there's a different person staring back at you. If, if, you, if you are careful, you'll notice that you are different with your family. And Satan will pay attention to that and he will crank up his efforts to, to trip you up. Which is why you know they always say in seminary, uh, it's it's going to be a tough time because all that all that thinking first off is going to be pretty uh, you know academic, and secondly, when you do start to apply it, Satan realizes now you're going to be being influenced not only influencing not only yourself but everyone else, and here comes the here comes the onslaught. So be prepared, knowing yourself and reviewing those things. The third thing he says is to meditate. Don't just read. Volume is not the issue. You have a whole summer ahead of you. Don't set goals like, I'm going to read the entire New Testament three times. Well, there's a little cartoon in his book and the first little bee goes by and says, I read a whole chapter today. And another little bee goes by and says, I read two chapters. And another little bee goes by and says, I read three chapters, the whole book. And then the last little bee goes by and says, but I applied it. <laughs> see that 's the deal. Volume is not the issue so so set your goals for the summer on on what will be meaningful to you and build in time for meditation that 's part of the memorizing thing it's thinking about it we 're going to talk in just a moment about a practical way to do that um, two, two verses, Psalm one and Joshua one. so let me grab that Joshua one here. Joshua. Grab Joshua. Both verses pretty familiar to you, I'm sure. Joshua one eight. He says this: um, Do do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. See, it's not just read it. You may be careful to do everything written in it. We're talking about application. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, I don't know that he's necessarily talking about you get more goats than everybody else, but he is definitely saying this is the root to having a life that's filled with joy. He goes on and said, you know, be strong, be courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged for the Lord's with you. He's with you and you're meditating on his word. Psalm, Psalm one is the one about, uh, be like a tree planted by the, by the water, uh, that brings forth fruit. Hang on. Let me read it to you. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he med- meditates day and night. He runs a verse through. He runs a phrase through. He runs a word through, if necessary, to get an idea. Memorizing scripture makes that meditation so much more profitable. Um, Try to go to sleep with with a verse on your mind or a phrase out of a verse. Watch how your mind uh, choose it as you're, as you're getting ready to go to sleep. And lastly, then practice. Obviously, doing it is the, is the net result of a p- application. So in Philippians, if, if let's say Philippians was your book this summer, and you read it and you reread it and you reread it again and you got some memorization, you went through the, all those questions, you found some things that you needed to do out of it. But look, look at this practice living out the truth just out of Philippians. I just glanced into my Bible and wrote down, what, four things. So in Philippians 1, Here's what it was. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Conduct yourself manner in a manner worthy of the gospel. So when the guy cuts you off on the freeway, how are you going to conduct yourself? In a manner worthy of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I can't stick my tongue out at him. You know, uh, Philippians 2. I'm supposed to do everything without complaining or arguing. Oh my gosh. Come on, guys. These are major application things here. Number three, chapter three, I press on towards the goal. I don't, I don't stop just because it gets hard. I keep going. Philippians 4, I'm, I'm going to rejoice always while I'm, while I'm pressing forward, while I'm doing everything without complaining, while I'm conducting myself in a manner worthy of the gospel, I'm going to do nothing but rejoice. There is a life in those four verses right there. You wouldn't need anything else out of your Bible. Practice, practice, practice. Now, two practical tips. And I thought these were very helpful, and I intend to spend my summer doing this. So the first one was um, a personal paraphrase. When you come to a, to a, 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 a verse, a, a section of Scripture... Um, each time you're going to study it, you know, you know what it says. Now write it in a paraphrase. So here's First 1 Timothy 1, one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. If you were going to paraphrase it, you might say something like this. Paul, a proclaimer of Jesus Christ, obeying the instructions of God, who is the one who saves us, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. So that's the, the paraphrase. You paraphrase whatever the verse is that you hit. But now here comes the kicker, personal application. Now, how are you going to apply that verse? Just the, just the one we just read, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our, of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Here's, here's a personal application, just like Paul. I need to recognize that I am tasked with being Christ's ambassador. I'm authorized and I'm sent out with a divine message. I can only be effective in my mission if I'm aware of my status as a divinely appointed witness." Now, you could spend a week chewing that, right? But a paraphrase helps you get it phrased up in a way that you can apply it. So not volume, that's not our issue, our issue is maybe to paraphrase paraphrase it and then write a personal application. If you did that for every verse in the book of Philippians, you would know the book of Philippians inside out and backwards by the time we come back to school, as an example. All right, I'm going to give you some more suggestions for Bible study tools. One of them we've talked about before. It's the the Illuminated uh, Scripture Journal. I am recommending that you utilize it. As sh- utilize shouldn't have been italicized. Uh, anyway, it's called the um, Illuminated Scripture Journal by Crossway. Um, they have them for every book. I think all, certainly all the books of the New Testament and most of the books of the Old Testament. I spent a summer in Psalms uh, last summer or the summer before. And I'm thinking about doing it again this summer. Here's the reason why. It just prints the, the verse on one side. It's an ESV, I think, which is a really easy one to read. The ESV is printed on one side. And then the other side is just a blank page. It's not to be colored. You could certainly uh, illustrate if you wanted to. And I think most people use it that way. But what I, what I did and what I plan to do much more of now is actually the, the, uh, the paraphrasing. So over here is what it says. Over here, I can, I can write my personal application or my personal paraphrase right on the, on the opposing page. And if you don't want to you know, take the whole book of Psalms on, the book of Proverbs I've done, I've done the book of Ephesians, I've done the book of Philippians. They're, those are just narrow little books so if you're you know, going on a vacation or something, uh, Psalms is a big thick one. a Warning, it's about that thick. But uh, the rest of them are not very much and they're not very much money. Uh, And and if you are a writing snob like me, it's really nice paper to write on, so you enjoy the actual writing part. That would be a helpful tool to write out your personal paraphrases and your personal applications. Another tool that I thought maybe for some that are kind of new to the Bible... There is a book uh, that was edited by Lucado and I can't remember the other guy, Max Lucado and someone else. But what they took is the story of the Bible and wrote it out in one continuous story. And that's what it's called, the story. Um, They use the Bible. They're true to it. Uh, I glanced uh, through mine yesterday. I've not read it. Um, I, I'm trying to decide whether that's my, uh, another goal this summer. But anyway, the story, if you just pick it up and read it, you can take it to the beach and, and read it like a story. It's going to take you from the point of creation all the way through the Bible, like a historical account, throwing in uh, the prophecies and so forth when they would, would have occurred. It might help you get a frame of reference if you don't have one of those in your head. And then, lastly, the thing I was going to recommend today was a, a tool called the uh, Topical Memory System by the Navigators. It's a bunch of three by five—I don't even think they're three by five cards. They're smaller cards. They put them on a ring, and they and they and they carry you carry them around as you memorize them. They're very helpful. Two-sided. Um, and thousands and thousands of people have used their system to memorize—you know—a ton a ton of God's Word. So you might go online, Navigators, and find their, their topical memory system. The bottom line, guys, is we want to study God's Word. We want to know what it says. We want to know what it means. But ultimately, we want to walk away with a, a, a lesson to learn, a, a, a sin to stop, a, an attitude to fix, uh, something to apply, something to memorize, some way that we are changed by God's Word. And slowing down will accommodate that. I pray that for you this summer. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the practicalness of this this series. For people that have not been students of your word much in the past, hopefully they're gaining just one tool or two tools that they could use, uh, not to become an expert overnight or or to take on the whole Bible, but to take on a, a section or a passage or a, a book and and immerse themselves in it until until those things in them have changed that you wanted to change. I pray that for me, and I pray that for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for coming. It would have been no fun without you.